Chapter Five of A Month on the Norfolk Broads on board the Wherry Zoe and its tender the Tub Lotus by Walter Rye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Potterham up the Thurn and back to St. Bennet's. We were all so eager to get to a real broad that we were off very early next morning and with a fair wind soon ran up to the mouth of Hayham sounds and it was not long after we turned up before the channel widened out and we were on whitesley whether this name means the same as the famous whittlesea mere i don't know but the coincidence is curious also that there is another place of the same name at the mouth of the creek running out of the bure into alton another mile took us on to hickling and the poet and i were both fairly astonished to notice how it had grown up since we were last here twenty years ago that this was not fancy was shown when we appealed to the skipper who thought that there was not much more than half the sailing water there used to be sorrowful thoughts took possession of us in the interests of our grandchildren for it really seems that in another fifty years all the broads will be grown up except perhaps wroxham and alton we took the jolly across to the village but could not get very enthusiastic over the ruins of the priory which indeed are thorough ruins we dawdled about the broad nearly all day collecting wild flowers and trying to fish but though two of us were expert fishermen and our old skipper a great enthusiast we did not nor did we at any time during the voyage have any of the great catches on paper broad that others are supposed to have had but that did not matter much we had a perfect blue sky shining above forests of tall green reed to look at and innumerable little bays and creeks wild flower gardens in themselves to potter about in while we watched the shoals of little fish so transparent that we could almost see through them hover about over the water-weed keeping quiet for a while and then dashing out of sight in the twinkling of a fin it was a lotus-eating day and we lived up to it doing nothing in particular but to pirate iolanthe doing it remarkably well we then regained the main river and went as far as martham broad the last pool up the hundred stream as the thurn is sometimes called which has no particular feature of interest though it is very pretty there can be little doubt that though the hundred stream soon after simply leaves off and does not run on into the sea that it used to do so before its mouth silted up my own idea is that the ant used not to run into the bure but that its old course 
was what is now the hundred dyke and that it then ran into or rather was the thern and so on into the sea at horsey the two stretches of waterway between one end of the hundred dyke and st bennet's and the other end and thern mouth were i fancy cut by the monks of st bennet so as to isolate themselves and make their property an island i expounded my views at length but the antiquary would have none of them and wanted to know whether water used to run uphill in those days a point as to which i was unable to give him any information all however agreed with me as i hope my reader will that on the map my idea looked very pretty and feasible we did not try to get the wherry up so far though it afterwards turned out we could have done so but the lotus sailed on with all on board through the long narrow cut to horsey mere on entering which all of us who had been sedulously reading guide-books on the quiet wished to tell the rhyme of horsey pike none like and so it turned out for never a one did we see horsey was charmingly lonely and we should have much liked to have got the wherry on it and stopped over sunday there as it happened all we could do was to follow the guide-book's advice stroll over to the sea about one mile and a half off throw the necessary number of pebbles into it and come back to our previous night's moorings at potter Hayam, whence we and the wherry by dint of very hard quanting managed late at night to get as far as the ruins of st bennet's abbey it was much too dark to see anything but the dim low outline of a massive flint wall running right up to the edge of the water against which we moored but when the rond stove was lit and the flame burned up a bit our american visitors were vastly excited at seeing the fragments of dressed stonework of a monastery founded by king canute being late the children at the cottages who usually stand and gape at all comers for hours had gone to bed so we had no visitors and everything was deadly still in the hot autumn night there was not a light to be seen or a sound to be heard no wonder said the antiquary that the monks came here for the solitude the towns could not give them even now there is not the faintest sound to break into one's thoughts a low soft paddling of oars just then came nearer and nearer but seemed hushed in unison with the calmness of the night till the shadow of a boat glided under our counter and an accordion aided by two drunken but powerful voices dashed out with tommy make room for ya uncle there's a little dear 
Tommy, make room for your uncle. Make room for your uncle, do. This was positively sickening, and upset all our feelings greatly, and we looked about for a substitute for a cold shot to put through the bottom of the dugout-looking craft, but refrained, as it was clear the singers were going over the fields to Ludham, and we soon heard no more of them. After supper we sat out and smoked, and felt sentimental. Then a gamekeeper, who was looking after the hares on the marshes in the interest of some coursing club, came and sat and talked, and had a glass, indeed several glasses with us, and we all went to bed. But that gamekeeper sat out through the pleasant night, mardling with our old skipper Tungate, till the sun rose. They were talking just over my bunk, and I must say that the height of imagination they displayed in their shooting stories was simply marvellous. The distances at which they had killed grew hour by hour in that still night, each increasing a bit so as not to be done by the other. But the cake was fairly earned by the gamekeeper, who alleged he had, with a wire cartridge, killed a mallard at ninety-five yards, which placed Tungate in the unenviable position, if he wished to trump his adversary, of having to be the first person who ever even stated he had killed with an ordinary shotgun at one hundred yards. He shrank from the responsibility, and had to say he felt sleepy and wanted to go to bed. Next morning we were all up betimes to look at the abbey ruins, not that there is very much to see. The antiquary pointed out that old Spellman would have drawn a moral fit for his history of sacrilege, from the fact that all the dressed stone of the abbey was taken by the duke of norfolk by river to build his palace at st john's norwich and that now there is not so much as one stone of that palace standing on another nothing like as much indeed as there is of the abbey which was wrecked to make it for there are the walls of the cruciform abbey church the great fragments of the wall alongside the river, no doubt part of the Necessarium, as at Castleacre, and the fine gatehouse, which, with the drainage mill built on it, forms so prominent a feature in among the marshes, and which has, I should think, been sketched and photographed more often than any other building in England. Of course, the athlete would climb up the broken and tumble-down staircase of the tower, and act as silly, if not as vulgar, as that of those who have cut their caddish names all over the stonework of the arches. Then we set up a bottle at one hundred yards, and invited the gamekeeper to shoot with a saloon rifle which Fatterman had on board. 
he had bragged so much the night before that we misdoubted his skill so our astonishment could be imagined when we saw him knock the neck of the bottle off at the first shot here had he been wise he would have left off but he was unwise and went on and i may say that a more miserable duffer both at rifle and pistol i never saw i beat him easily and fatterman very easily so his first success must have been a pure fluke then we explored the old orchard with its ragged moss-overgrown trees and sour medieval apples traced the fish-ponds or stews now long dry and saw how a row of hedgeway trees marks the precincts of what was once one of the richest and most powerful abbeys in england as to the story that the bishop of norwich is the only abbot still left in england and sits in the house of lords as abbot of st bennet's at home i never could trace the least foundation for it and believe it is just as true as the tale that william the conqueror besieged the place and that a recreant monk who betrayed it to him was first made abbot and then hanged by him when the heat of the day abated a little some of us walked across the marshes by the maid causeway or carnza and up the slope to ludham to provision admired the great fine church though lamenting its decayed state and buying a leg of mutton and a great piece of beef and some beef cheese slung the lot on a pole and carried them back our sketcher took a long walk across to burnt fen broad and brought back this sketch which may or may not be imaginary for i have never seen the place the evening was devoted to fishing but not having any ground bait we did not do much good nor will any one else up these rivers despite all the guide-books say End of chapter 5